Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. I'm Austin Meek with Waco Business News, and you're listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco Business. My guest today is Kathy Wise, Associate Executive Director of Operations and Mobilizing for Mission Waco. We talk about the housing crisis happening in the United States and how to show dignity to the homeless living here in our community. But first, let's hear from CJ Jackson in the Business Review. Experienced Perspective. I'm C.J. Jackson, and this is the Business Review. Only a few years out of college, Alex Lizewa, growth manager for Thrive Cosmetics, is on the road to success. With a fresh perspective, Alex shares how her outlook and opportunities have evolved from survive to thrive. I've always felt like I've had a purpose, and so for me, I'm able to do all those things at Thrive Cosmetics. I'm able to kind of speak to the hobbies and the interests that I love, which is makeup and beauty, but also working for a company that is bigger than beauty. And that does give back to communities. Tap into the things that make you feel better about yourself. Alex says that it's important to find your why. She says that once the why comes to you, you start to thrive and not just survive. Find your why, but don't go looking for it. It will come to you. When you're fresh out of college, you know, your biggest priority is securing that job, getting a dependable source of income. And as you're progressing through your career, you start to think about bigger picture things and you start to think about, hey, is this something I want to do every day? Trust that you will be able to find your purpose. It may not come to you maybe for several years from now. Just know that it's out there and know that it will come to you and you'll figure it out. And when you know that you figured it out, you know exactly that that is your why. I was going off of survival mode for the first two years out of college. And it really wasn't until, you know, the past two years that I felt like I'm really thriving now. And once you're in that place where you're thriving, that to me is when all the opportunities start flowing in and when things just start aligning. The Business Review is a production of Livingston and McKay and the Handcammer School of Business at Baylor University. The Business Review can be heard here every Thursday during Morning Edition and All Things Considered on Waco Public Radio 103.3. I'm now joined in studio by Kathy Wise. Kathy is the Associate Executive Director of Operations and Mobilizing at Mission Waco. Welcome to Downtown Depot, Kathy. Thank you, Austin. 
Would you give our listeners an idea of your history in Waco and how you got involved with the nonprofit world? Sure. I grew up in Gatesville, Texas, and I went to Baylor as an undergrad back before there were personal computers is when I got my business degree, so you can imagine what that was. Uh, I moved off to the Washington, D.C. area, lived in Northern Virginia for 15 years. I worked in business for about 10 of those years, and then the last five years I was on the staff of a large church, primarily uh, working with our missions and youth programs and also helping our church get involved out in the community. We were a very wealthy church, and it was easier for people to give than to go sometimes. And so, uh, but I loved it. And I found that actually when I was out in the community was when I had the most joy. And so that got me thinking about a different career. Um, Eventually felt led to come back to to go to seminary. I came back to Truett Seminary in 96, finished there in 99. Had an opportunity to intern for a year with Mission Waco, which uh, was exciting. Uh, we we did about, uh, um, let's see, nine months. Uh, seven of those months were here in Waco learning a curriculum about urban ministry and volunteering. And then two months we got to go live in Chicago, and I lived with the Jesus people, which is a, a big commune. That's a whole another fun story. But uh, um, really great, great experience, and that got my world thinking about community and what does that look like. So I had the chance to come on staff at Mission Waco back in 2000, and I've been there ever since. When I started, we had about maybe 10 or 12 employees, and we have about uh, between 80 and 90, depending on the time of year right now. There often is a conflict that I hear among Christian people who are in business, wondering how much of their faith to show when they're in the workplace and how to, quote-unquote, live missionally while they're in the office setting. What do you think is the right balance there? Well, it's actually one of the reasons I moved out of the Texas area when I was a young person. The uh, For me, being in a Bible Belt area felt a little bit oppressive. And I it was already, I had walked away from my faith some when I was at Baylor um, intentionally because I didn't feel like I measured up to what it meant to be a Christian. And so through just an experience of meeting a, another student that was really sincere in their faith and then talking with a pastor, that led me back to understanding in a more free way uh, what Jesus really does for us. And so it really gave me a, a fresh look at Christian faith. Um, and so, But I, I also didn't really know how to do that here where I still felt some of that pressure. Moving to D.C. in the Northern Virginia area was really fun for me. Nobody cared if you were a Christian up there in, a, in the workplace. But what I found was people were often interested in talking about spiritual things. And so they would seek me out to talk about things. And so we had lots of opportunities to share faith in the workplace just out of natural friendship. And so when I w- that was actually one of my hesitancies for coming back to Texas when I was looking at seminaries because I thought, how will that be to go back to that area? And so I think for me coming back to Truett, which was— um, I love the concept that Truett has around small classes and discussion base. That was really challenging for me. And then finding a community like Church Under the Bridge in Mission Waco where vulnerability and realness about life's realities is the place you is the reason you will feel accepted. So and so and I know a lot of churches have changed to be more like that now, but it, in my experience back in those days, Uh, it hadn't felt that way to me. What do you think has propelled these churches to change their opinion on that? I hope a desire to be real, desire to be honest. Um, My life, I I wasn't really ready until I was in my mid-30s, which is also kind of natural for our life, 
that sometime in our mid-30s, we're in a time of reflection, and I was finally ready to really deal with some of the things that had gone on in my life that I needed to work through with a counselor and to get some help. And um, I think before that, I always thought, I just have enough good friends. I'm okay. Um, uh, I'll be okay. I have faith, whatever. But really, sometimes we also need those professional tools, too, to help us uh, to get to a better place of mental health. And so I think just becoming more uh, comfortable with that. So I, w- I would hope that, that um, you know, my, my personal goal is to live one life well. It, it, when you live two stories, that creates tension in your life. And so if we can figure out how to just let the one story be the story, and that's who we are, wherever we are, then that makes life a lot, lot um, more joyful. If you're living on the street, it's hard to have competing lives. You have one life, that life is on the street, and you are hit with the realities of, oh, there's a cold front. All of a sudden, it's 30 degrees in Waco. used to be 80 degrees in Waco. What are some things that our listeners might not know about what it means to be in McLennan County and be unhoused? Well, for one thing, it is we do have some good nonprofits and churches that are doing things that are real and active to meet the needs of folks. So if you do want help in McLennan County, there is some help available at those very base levels. Um, we have, uh, you know, Family Abuse Center for people coming with domestic violence that may find themselves suddenly homeless. We've got uh, the hangar, you know, working with the, the fit folks that are down literally living along the creeks. Um, that don't want to come to shelter. Mission Waco has My Brother's Keeper, uh, which is a, has emergency shelter and also what we call extended stay, which is more of that transitional period after they're through those first 60 days, and then they can stay for more months as they're saving up their money to be eligible to get an apartment somewhere. Uh, Salvation Army has, I believe, rapid rehousing. Uh, the Heart of Texas Behavioral Health Network also does some work with housing. Um, Compassion Ministries has an excellent transitional housing program. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody out because there's so many folks that are doing good things. So there is some help available, but um, the reality is, and that's why we would encourage folks to come go through our poverty simulation. Uh, That's a weekend where you come Friday night till Sunday afternoon, and you live by the rules of poverty for that weekend. And you told me before we went to air, over the years, more than 25,000 people have participated in this poverty seminar where you live like someone who is impoverished for an entire weekend. Yes. And often, even I've been through it a couple of times myself. Uh, when I was an intern and I did it on my 20th anniversary month at Mission Waco, just to remind myself, uh, even though I've helped with it many times, and I know the, I know all the parts of it and the components. It's a very planned weekend. We know what exactly what's going to happen. You just don't. And that's really one of the, the biggest problems for uh, that people face is we're, those of us that have shelter and food and housing we do really don't understand what it means to not have the power to make those choices. And so, um, and even then, it translates over even to one of the things I love about Mission Waco and Church on the Bridge is that we uh, try to uh, to have space and, and inclusion that f- everybody has something to give. Because even during poverty sim, there's, you know, the people are, that are usually coming are the ones that are used to helping, and now they're the ones in need. And that's very uncomfortable for folks. But that's something we need to understand so that when we see someone that's in need, we aren't treating them like with something with no, somebody with nothing to give. 
right? And because if someone feels like they have nothing to offer, if they have nothing to give, that, that means their dignity is lost. It means that their, um, their place in the world is lost at some level, um, you know. When we see things happening 90 miles south in Austin, Texas, it's easy to think that that's going to come to Waco. And when you drive through downtown Austin, particularly in that underpass over 6th Street, there are large homeless encampments there, at least there have been recently. When we look at bigger cities like Austin, what is different about their, for lack of a better word, homelessness crisis that they have? And what are some of these cities across the country doing well, in your opinion, that's helping address that in a more manageable way? Austin's a fantastic example because of Community First down there, which is uh, came out of the Mobile Mobile Loaves and Fishes ministry where they went and fed people on the homeless, but they realized that housing was was something that needed to be addressed. So they went out to the got to get my bearing straight to the east of Austin and found some land out there and it's grown now I think to phase 4 that they're in hundreds of microhomes and also mixed in with that are also what they call missionals or people that are um uh they hope for I think between 10 and 20% of folks uh, to be folks not coming from homelessness that would come live and be part of community there. And the unique thing about it is uh folks can um they have an opportunity to, to make things and earn money out there. Everyone has to pay some rent, and so it's not a free place. Everybody's got some responsibility in the community, has some, um, you know, ways to live that consider the community, and uh, and so they call it community first. There was a program through the government called Housing First that happened a while back, and that's where Alan Graham that started Community First said, no, it's community first, not just housing. And so we're hoping uh, we have just bought some land uh, down on South University Parks Drive uh, that will eventually be Creekside Community Village here in Waco. Um, Right now, we're still in the master planning phase of that. And uh, John Calloway, our executive director, if anyone's interested in more information, they can reach out to him. We hope to have more public information in the coming months after we get the master plan finished. So a, a tiny home community here in Waco. Microhomes, yeah, and and also with a mix of missional people living there as well. Uh, but the and then the city of Waco also just uh, gave money to support the the initial purchase of the land. And so um, the first phase uh, is what we will be focusing on after the master plan process is finished. I might have gotten this recommendation from Jimmy Dorrell or someone else at Mission Waco a few years ago. I read a book that was really impactful for me. It was called Dignity by a guy named Chris Arnod. And what Chris did is that he left his job as a Wall Streeter and started spending time at McDonald's and <laughs> getting to know all the different characters that will come into a McDonald's at any time of the day. And I, I bring that book up, one, in case people are looking for a relatable look into the back row of America. This is a fabulous glance into it. But secondly, I bring it up, Kathy, because you've mentioned this word dignity a few times. What does the word dignity mean to you, and why is restoring dignity so important? Well, again, if someone feels like they are worthless or they have nothing to give, that is a, uh, I mean, none of us like that, right? And so if we can help restore that for someone, if we can give them the op- option to be a friend. I, one of the things that I love about, even for myself, I, re- I began praying when I first came here. I'm kind of a quieter person. 
a behind the scenes person. I'm the I'm the person you don't see at Mission Waco usually in the background, and which I like. I'm, that's fine for me. Um, I, but you know, I really tried to um, to make friends when I first came here, and I and I realized how hard it was for me. And so even it, with Church Under the Bridge, you know, with and even though I I wanted these kinds of diverse friendships, that's why I moved back here. That's what I wanted, and. But I began praying, and I was like, Lord, please send me a friend. Please send me someone that would be willing, that's not like me, that would be willing to accept me as a friend. And what I found over the process was that, you know, just the little simple thing of remembering a birthday and taking that person to lunch that every year. And, you know, those little things like that, just let them, a lot of them never had a birthday party their whole life. Their whole life. You know, and so how many millions of dollars are spent on birthday parties right and so it's like can we not go take somebody to lunch for their birthday and invite a few friends with them you know just little things like that to know that they're seen they're loved and then through that we figure out I think there's often fear of why would we not want to do that for somebody why would we not want to try to help restore dignity we're afraid sometimes that we're going to be taken advantage of or whatever well the poor are taken advantage of all the time we can I call it getting burnt. It's okay for us to get burnt a little bit. <laughs> it's okay for us to, to risk a little bit and learn, right? And so, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's worth, it's worth the, the risk. And I do believe that our world would be changed if every person of wealth had a true friendship with a person that has a history of poverty and is facing issues related to poverty. And every person in poverty's life would be changed as well. There's not a finite amount of dignity on the earth. The, no. The more you give, the more that it expands, and the more that that dignity yeah. can be shared with others. Yeah. Kathy Weiss, who we're hearing from now, is the Associate Executive Director of Operations and Mobilizing at Mission Waco. When we are looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, in order for someone to be a productive, contributing member of society, they have to have their most basic needs met. They have to feel safe, have to have food, they have to feel shelter. And there truly is an affordable housing crisis happening in the country right now. What is your view on this and in ways that we might be able to stem it? Well, our social services director, Jared Clark, uh, was sharing with me that even in the months of August and September, just at Mission Waco, and we're one of many nonprofits in the area that work with with homelessness, just at Mission Waco, we saw a 56 percent increase of first time homeless people coming for help. That says something, right? And the, we also know what the rent costs have gone up just in here in Waco. I mean, not even thinking of the other rest of the world, but just right here in Waco, we're feeling it. Jared even said that in his estimation, if we had 500 to 1,000 new units or, or units available for people that were really at this very low-income area, that that would just be enough to catch up. But I, I actually own some properties, uh, some uh, personally, uh, some apartments, and I've what I've done is I took, um, I decided to just not really try to make profit off of them, just invest in them, and keep them safe, affordable, and um, well maintained. And when I look about how to prepare the rents, I think about what does somebody on fixed income make? What would they be able to afford and then it, it may be that they have a very small margin of money left after they pay rent 
but at least they can afford it and have, you know, and if they have food stamps, probably a little bit of food stamps, that they would have just, they would have enough to live. And also if somebody was making maybe 10 to $13 an hour full-time work, could they afford to live at my apartments? That's how I set the rents for the majority of them. Um, and that works for me, you know, um, and I'm thankful to, to be able to do that. But I wonder how many other property owners in Waco could, if, if we only need 500 to 1,000 to at least get caught up, let's at least try to get caught up. What other property owners maybe could take a few of their units and do that? I think it'd be pretty possible to get to 500 or 1,000 more units. We also need more housing vouchers. That would be great, um, you know, from the um, Section 8 and things like that. I just don't know how much of that's available. When you peel back the layers, you start to recognize how much deeper the problem is than just having a roof over your head. Because so much of one's ability to contribute to a society and be a part of a community is transportation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the way that our city is set up, you have to have a car to participate. Right. Makes it really difficult. And that's what's so brilliant about this miniature home village that Mm -hmm. Mission Waco is starting because you can have people who are all going through certain things at the same time and be part of that community. Yeah, and people learn from each other, and we'll, you know, of course, we'll have lots of support around that with volunteers and staff and different things to, to help help work through that, too. One of the other things that Jared had shared that is a problem with getting people into housing is the three-to-one ratio. A lot of land, landlords will only take somebody if they make three times the amount of the rent. And I asked him, I said, would it help if it was two-to-one? He said, not really for this population. It's really more like that these folks would be willing to pay 90% of their income to be able to have a roof over their head and just live on food stamps and just a tiny bit less or a tiny bit left over for just incidentals. But, and so we can't imagine that, right? A lot of us that have secure housing, we just can't imagine that. But I just wonder what the possibilities would be if landlords could be a little bit creative or if people that are interested in investing um, would be willing to take a little less profit to, to help, help out in this area. It's the month of November, and there are a lot of charitable causes that are doing things for Thanksgiving or Christmas, and giving back is always something that's on the mind during this time in the season. I was surprised that you told me that this is, in fact, the time that Mission Waco really doesn't need help because there are so many others who are contributing already. Maybe every Thanksgiving our family goes Mm -hmm. and we serve here. But looking into 2024 or maybe even thinking about other organizations that are within Waco— what are some practical ways that Wacoans can help their community? Right. Well, we're, we're glad to always have volunteers contact us anytime. And I think even some of the other nonprofits that I talked with, Habitat for Humanity, uh, others, they, they same like us, they utilize volunteers all year round. And so we, we would love to talk to folks that are interested and see how we can help them cr- connect. I got to thinking after uh, when I was, after I'd mentioned that to you the other day, um, that I wondered uh, some of the creative ways to volunteer, right? Uh, Like one time when we were raising money for Jubilee Food Market to open, there was a lady in the neighborhood from our low-income neighborhood that we were trying to solicit $25 donations from folks. Would you give $25 to invest in Jubilee Food Market? She herself went and every few weeks would bring us in the little written-out donation cards that she had collected from neighbors with their $25. She was a volunteer helping us that way, you know? Uh, we had um, another lady, um, you may know Autumn Outlaw, uh, she does dress a day in May 
which is a thing where she wears a different a different dress every day and posts it on social media. Well, she started after she found the clothesline, our clothing store over on Franklin. She secondhand clothing that has, often has very good prices. She actually wears something from clothesline every day, and so that's volunteerism by looking for ways even to promote. One of my favorites was also a group of Baylor students that asked us how could we help. And so they came over and went as a group, went to Jubilee Food Market one night, bought their groceries for their meal, went back to somebody's apartment, cooked the meal together, ate together, took some social media pictures, posted it on there, and gave a shout out to Jubilee Food Market. That's creative volunteerism too, right? It doesn't, sometimes it, it can be actually coming over and helping us practically with things we use people to help with buildings and, uh, you know, cleaning, um, you know, uh, different kind of serving projects, the toy store, things like that. But, um, uh, you know, but even these other creative ways, there's lots of ways. So talk to the nonprofit that you're interested in. Ask them how I can help. Look on their websites. That intersection at Colcord and 15th where Mission Waco has its headquarters is truly one of the best examples of organic development that I think exists in Waco and that I've seen here in Texas. You have everything that you need to be able to be a part of that community. There's a grocery store, there's a school, there's a coffee shop, there's an ice cream store, there's a theater where you can go see quality productions, there's a breakfast, lunch, and dinner spot. I love how intentional you guys have been about that, and it does seem that the Jubilee food store, the grocery store that's there, has become a real model for other cities to be looking at and figure out how did you have this organic development and how can we develop that too? Well, it's not easy, and and we are still trying to figure that out ourselves too. We uh, here's one of the studies that was brought to our attention back um, early on, and is that nothing, no place, and you could go to any low income area in Waco and other cities. It's difficult for for retail and restaurants and and businesses to make it there because the income around those areas is does not have the, the enough income to support them. So what it takes is those that do not live in those areas, if they would just tithe 10% or even 5%, and 5% is what the study said, that if they would spend 5% of their shopping dollars in low-income areas, that if everybody that didn't live there would do that, it was, would help make places go. So even over on Elm Avenue, um, in, you know, up where we are in North Waco, uh, other parts of East Waco, South Waco, um, those areas would thrive more if folks would be intentional. So instead of going to your favorite place on the busier places, just take those 5%. Uh, so if you think about 5%, that's even for Jubilee Food Market. If we had a lot of people come shop twice a year, that's 5% of your shopping. I know that seems weird, but it's like even those little bits um, help. So we we can use every shopping dollar. One of the big myths of Jubilee Food Market is it's just for the poor. It's not. It's for anybody to come shop, and we need you to come shop there. It's right at 15th and Colcord. Across the street is World Cup Cafe, uh, awesome food. And in the back of that is the Fair Trade Market, which is another hidden secret in Waco that doesn't need to be hidden. It's the only uh, certified fair trade market between Dallas and Austin and has beautiful gifts from around the world that are helping people in poverty uh, be able to work with dignity at a fair wage. Kathy, I'll get you out of here on this. Next time I'm pulling up to an intersection and there's someone who's on the corner with a sign that says, homeless, need help, need food, et cetera. What is the right way for me to show that person dignity? That's probably one of the most common questions we get. Uh, 
just my own personal way I try to handle it is uh, to pray and ask the Lord what's the right thing to do in this time. Um, when I've talked with my friends that are homeless, they uh, or they've been through homelessness, they tell me not to give there, that most of those are not going to be folks that are really trying to get off the streets. However, certainly people need help. And so it's kind of, I think that's just a personal choice that people need to make. I'm always going to encourage folks to find a nonprofit or a church that is actually has building relationships with the folks and give through there. Because if they have the relationships with them, maybe you don't have time to sit and make a relationship with that person, then find a place that is doing that. And so there's many organizations around Waco that are doing that and maybe give through them. One example last year was one, there was one lady under uh, that we heard about that received like 40 blankets at Christmas. You know, that's that's kind of the problem when people just show up with stuff, right? And so if they can give it in a way that, that when the woman needs a blanket, maybe she's lost her, maybe got stolen, then she could come get one rather than just going and dropping stuff off. It just becomes um, a way. So, But certainly try to see the person, say hello to them, uh, offer to go sit and have a meal with them. Uh, someplace um, if you want to do that or get and do that in groups maybe or get a couple of people so if you if you feel that safety is an issue uh, but but look look them in the eye say hi and um, and then figure out what you want to do next Kathy Wise is the Associate Executive Director of Operations and Mobilizing at Mission Waco thank you so much for sharing your story with us thanks for letting me be here Thanks again to Kathy Wise of Mission Waco and to you for tuning in to episode 162 of Downtown Depot here on Waco Public Radio. You can catch me in between episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Waco Business News and join me back here the first Friday of December for another conversation with an inspiring small business owner, civic leader, or engaged citizen sparking Waco's revitalization. I'm Austin Meek, and you've been listening to Downtown Depot where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.